Welcome back to Progress Over Perfection. I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. And now we're getting into the Christmas season and we have a couple episodes left here in the year. It's hard to believe we started this journey back in August. And so thanks everyone for listening. Please continue to share and subscribe to Progress Over Perfection. And in that vein, this episode is really going to be one you're going to want to share and bookmark and keep. We're going to really talk about sobriety and alcoholism and really uh, what resources exist to get sober. There's a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings, and a lot of that has to do with just you know, not knowing. I didn't know a whole lot, neither did Sila when uh, we first began this journey, but we've learned and we want to share what we've learned with everyone and um, unpack that. And so there's different starting points for everyone, depending on where they are um, in, in the level of, uh, of alcohol, the level that alcohol has impacted their life. And so I uh, want to give you a tool you can use, whether it's for yourself to get educated or to share with someone else who might need help and want to find a place to start. So let's dive in. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Progress Over Perfection. Hey, Sila, welcome back. Hey, Russ. Welcome back to you. <laughs> <laughs> like, I ain't seen you in two weeks right, or something. That's I funny know, right? we play around. Um, so, you know, since you uh, dropped the episode about your sobriety journey, 21 months, mm-hmm. woo, woo, um, a lot of people have come out, reached out to you yes. and really um, wanting to understand what it means to be an alcoholic and what it means to get sober. And I know that's a journey that you and I have obviously taken mm-hmm. um there was certainly a lot i didn't know there was a certainly a lot you didn't know there's and, still a lot i don't know sure well yeah. <laughs> speak, for, speak for yourself no just right. kidding yeah, I'm, I'm the know-it-all yeah right we're always um, learning no we're, but we're always we had a certainly a huge knowledge gap to understand like yes. what it meant to be alcoholic and understanding it as a disease and understanding the different ways you can get help right and i think that a lot of people there's there's shame there's stigma there's assumptions and yes. so um we want to share some information today i know you've done some research and we've had a lot of time to talk about it that we hope this episode will be very helpful to a lot of people and kind of something you can bookmark and share for years to come so yes wh- what have we learned where do we, where do we want to start today sila so since i start as russell was saying since i shared about my sobriety journey i have been contacted by a lot of people people that i know and people that i don't know honestly I think some people that I do know were a little shocked to hear that this was something that I struggled with and have known, have known, known me, sorry, for as long as they have, um, they felt comfortable to reach out. And I realized in talking with some of these people that there are so many misconceptions and confusion around alcoholism and getting sober. Um, I had one person contact me recently who had said that their family member had thought that they need to go to rehab. And so as we talked, I realized that rehab wasn't something the person could get to at the moment. But so I said, well, why don't you come to a meeting with me? And they're like, wait, isn't a meeting rehab? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Very different. And that wasn't the only person. There are so many misconceptions. If you weren't around this, if you didn't know somebody that, you know, struggled with alcoholism and got help, you don't really even know where to turn to. So this is going to be more of a practical episode where I'm going to share kind of in depth what I would share with somebody if they contacted me and were like, how do I know I'm an alcoholic? So that is the question. That's what I was going to say. Let's get started 
with this, with that question. That's the question I get the most. How do I know I'm an alcoholic or how do I know my blank, my, my husband, my wife, my parent, you know, you guys would be really surprised how many people have reached out to me and think their parent is an alcoholic. And that, that's a hard one. So I have a lot of people saying, how do I know if blank is an alcoholic? The drunk boomer parent is an alcoholic. Got it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It happens. It does happen. They ain't got no job, nothing it's, to do. It's been happening. Let's Some just, of them may have jobs. Lord help us. But we're going to help y'all. I hope you don't, don't mind the levity. And <laughs> you got to laugh through it. Yes. So I think being aware of the five different types of alcoholics is extremely helpful. Um, and I'm going to share this. And I want as we share, Russell and I are going to share it together. I want you guys to listen closely and try to maybe identify where you might fit in or your loved one or the person that you were concerned about mm -hmm. might fit in. Um, and it's not a perfect science, but it kind of gives you a gauge. I definitely identify myself um, in these. So let's get started, Russ. Why mm -hmm. don't you start with the first one? Yeah, I'm gonna start with a young adult alcoholic. And this is certain something and the, the alcoholic I probably spent the most time around in, in my days of, of of, of partying and, and drinking myself on a regular basis, right? Um, so roughly 31% of alcoholics fall in this category. Um, and they tend to start drinking, you know, at an early age, you know, even like 18 to 19. I've certainly seen folks drink at a younger age than that. Um, and so, and, and also um, they can develop dependency. Certainly by the time they get to like their mid twenties, like 24 years old can develop um, dependency. So this group usually drinks less frequently than others but it's very likely to engage in binge drinking. And that's what I certainly was exposed to um, in, in my in my college days in particular um, in, in that category. So I've certainly seen the young adult alcoholic. Again, 31% of alcoholics fall into that category. All right, so the next is the functional alcoholic. And that is roughly 20% of alcoholics. Um, this group is holding down jobs and relationships and families. This group tends to be more middle-aged, so in their 40s. Um, members of this group do not start drinking very young. They start picking it up maybe more in later in life. Um, this group is less likely to have any type of legal problems. This group has the highest education of all five groups. Um, and they, but this is the sad part. They are least likely to admit they have a problem. Um, and that is, that's, that's the hard part. Um, this group seems to have their stuff together. People look up to them. And honestly, you guys, this is me. This is who I was. I was a functioning alcoholic. Mm -hmm. I hit it well. Nobody knew. People looked up to me. I held down a job, a home, a family, all of those mm -hmm. things. But that was definitely me. Yeah, so the person that may need a little something extra in their coffee in the morning. Yes. Five martini lunch on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. well, even once is pretty I was never the, the morning or the afternoon. No, I got no. it in in the evening. Right. Oh, yeah, but... Or your yeah. happy hour is, is yes. as soon as you leave work, happy hour starts mm -hmm. and doesn't end until you pass out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that category. So, yeah, anyway. Um, the next is the intermediate familial alcoholic, which is roughly 18% of alcoholics. So this group tends to start drinking at a young age as well and then has an immediate family member uh, with alcoholism. So um, usually there's other associated issues um, with individuals who fall into this group, like depression, mm -hmm. anxiety, bipolar. So there's like a mental health basket as well that kind of goes um, in partnership with that. And certainly other antisocial behaviors or disorders can certainly be a part of that. So we can kind of look at the family aspect of the disease. And again, this is the immediate familial alcoholic, which is roughly 18% of alcoholics. Yeah. And that is someone who's witnessed an immediate family member. Right. Yeah. To kind of maybe grow up around it. Grew up around it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So the next one is the young antisocial alcoholic. And this group is about 21% of alcoholics. This group starts drinking at a very young age. So this is like the 14 to 16 range where they become sneaking alcohol from their parents or grandparents. Side note, I can't tell you guys how many people I have been in AA meetings with who tell stories about being a young teenager and sipping drinks off their grandparents or parents or sneaking it or this or that. And I am like so shocked, I guess, because that wasn't my experience and I'm learning new things that some, that that really does happen. Like Mm -hmm. they really do start at an extremely young age. Um, So this person, the young um, alcoholic starts drinking young and becomes pretty much dependent or addicted to alcohol around 18 or 19. Um, this group has the highest rate of other substance, substance abuse disorders like cigarettes, weed, cocaine, meth, opioids. Um, this group also has the lowest education level, employment level, and income. But I do want to add the antisocial part of the young antisocial alcoholic doesn't always apply to everybody. It doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, well, I know someone who drinks and has started drinking really young, but they're not antisocial. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean that that, that they don't have that in yeah. them also. And again, these are broad archetypes, not stereotypes exactly. to keep in mind. So don't don't get overly... But again, there's some categories to think about here. And this is the last one is just a chronic severe alcoholic, right? The fifth one. So again, this group is the smallest group, 9% roughly of alcoholics. Um, and this group, again, tends to start drinking young um, and then usually is completely dependent by the time they're 30 years old. Um, they tend to drink so much that they experience acute alcoholic withdrawals, right? So they, they almost have to. They're just yeah. truly an addiction. They have the shakes. The yeah, the, the shakes, the sweats. Yep. Can't sleep without it, yeah. right? Um, mm-hmm. Even can't well can't function, function, right? With without it, right? So it really becomes a body. The body can really become uh, dependent on it again by the time you get to age thirty. Um, so again, highest rate of divorce, drinks most frequently, more frequently than the other four categories we described. And again, Doctor Phil. Um, these what what's the, these? these are like the cases that you would see on Doctorville right. uh-huh. or intervention. Yeah, you know, like these are the ones that and I. Maury Povich. No. <laughs>
uh, he would say something to me and I would be like totally oblivious to what he's talking about. Or we watched a show and I don't yeah, remember the ending of it. That would happen a lot. We'd watch the show. And he'd be like, wow, something, something on last night. And I would be like, oh my God. Or some of the news. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't remember. I do not remember that at all. Um, and so I carried a lot of, of shame around that. Um, and I want to say something here as well. Like, um, I think one thing I know I had to, to really, um, you know, understand is is as someone who's not an alcoholic like you know I, I do drink occasionally um i also smoke cigars occasionally but i've gone in some in both cases months a couple months weeks certainly and do so regularly without having a cigar or having a drink and i could easily not have one again and be fine and so it's hard as someone who has that ability to understand how someone else doesn't have that ability so i had to really educate myself first and foremost and then lean into my own empathy to understand, okay, me and Sila are not the same people. She she is an alcoholic. I can have a drink and never drink again and, and be okay. I might want one. I might miss one, but I'll be okay. I wouldn't. It wouldn't interrupt my life one bit. So I had to really understand that we're different in this way, and, and this you know is, is something that's unique to her. Um, but how can I come alongside her and help her you know bear this cross and we do it together, right? In our, in our marriage. So I just want to make that point. My my problem. I, I don't know. I can't imagine not having a cheeseburger again. That's not. <laughs> French that's fries, my, you better French tell fries, the truth. Popcorn, you are yeah, a French fry yeah, connoisseur. So y'all see me, and I got a little, no extra in my midsection. Mm-hmm. You I, never I, met a French yeah, fry he didn't like. Yeah, you y'all. can you can hide the alcohol. Mm-hmm. I can't hide the fact that unfortunately I like to eat. And that's that's my demote. <laughs> but anyway, so just to make a compare, we all have that our challenge, right? Yes, and, we and do. So anyway, that's mine. But anyway, well, thank you. Yeah, it makes me feel better when I'm not the only one here suffering <laughs> with a challenge. Yeah. Well, yeah, I married a woman that could cook, and then now you know I got to suffer. So go yes, figure. Yeah, for me. Yeah. So back to the third one. Um, <laughs> do you feel guilt when you drink? Now I mentioned that I sometimes would feel shame. Um, I mean that I would not remember what happened the night before. Right. But the other thing is, is that I did. I felt a lot of shame and guilt. Um, or I would feel bad. And deep down inside, I would want to stop so bad, but I didn't know how. And I didn't think I could. And honestly, guys, like just sitting here saying the words that I'm 21 months sober, it's like, oh my gosh, how did I do that? Because I couldn't imagine going 21 days without drinking. Or, you know, I, it was something that I wanted to do and did most every day. So being able to go this long is almost weird for me to be able to say that I've been able to do this because it is, it's a miracle. So back to my thing, when, back to my question, when people ask me about, um, do they have a problem or am I an alcoholic? I recommend anybody that is questioning their relationship with alcohol to go to an AA meeting or a celebrate recovery meeting. And a little bit, a few minutes into the podcast, I'm going to share about those. So you kind of have an idea, but my what I suggest to people is that go and see if something resonates with you. Um, maybe you'll hear a story. Maybe someone you'll, if you go to a book where they read out of the big book, which I do, I go to a um, one page at a time. What's and the big book? The big book is a, a big blue book um, that was developed by AA. And it's something that we all use in AA. If you are considering getting sober, I recommend getting a big book. Um, They're not necessarily big, by the way. You can have a (laughs) tiny little one in your purse. The writing might be so small, you can't see it. Um, But they do have small, big books. It's a magnifying glass. Exactly. Um, And that's like first step, you know, is, is definitely like reading the big book because there's everybody can relate to somebody in that story. When I say everybody, everybody, not just an alcoholic, 
because there are what we call normals, no, normies. I think that's how they say it. Normal people that don't have a situ, uh, an issue with alcohol. Then there is a family member. Then there is, you know, the spouse and the alcoholic themselves and different stories. So it's a really great um, place to start when you are trying to get sober. I know many of you during this pandemic have been trapped inside and have been itching to travel. Well, we have the travel partner just for you. Axis Luxury Travel, a full service travel concierge company. Now, they've created unique experiences tailored to you, the modern traveler, and they're going to give you way more than you're going to find on any silly Google search. Right. So they've traveled the world and, of course, have been able to personally handpick luxury hotel collections, experiences and so many other amenities just for you so they can make the recommendations with confidence. Why? Because they've experienced it that simple. So whether you're a solo traveler, a romantic couple looking for a getaway, a family, a large group or a corporation, they can help you make your plans and get you the best deals. Check out AxisTravel.com. That's A-X-E-U-S Travel.com. Now back to progress over perfection. So like you just said, there's a lot of misconceptions about what it means to to get help and what that looks like. And, and people think they have to give up their whole life or stop everything to get help. And that might not, some people might need to do that, but that's not necessarily the case for most alcoholics. So what are the different types of ways people can get help? So like I said earlier, I'm realizing that unless you've been around someone with addiction, you probably don't know where to start or what to expect. So I'm going to break down some treatment options and I'm going to explain a little bit on each to kind of give you an idea. Um, and I know some people might be thinking, oh, I'm not an addict. I don't need this. Let me just tell you, you never know when you might need this. Okay. So don't um, fast forward through the podcast or stop listening just because you think this isn't for you. You never know a friend, a neighbor, a loved one, a child. So please listen. Um, so let's start with the most extreme to the least extreme. So the most extreme would be detox. And detox is not treatment itself. The goal of detox is to get the alcohol out of your system. And this can take a few days to a week. Sometimes you'll do this in a hospital or detox center, something like that. Um, because if you are one of those extreme cases, like the chronic alcoholic, um, you're going to have tremors. You're going to have hallucinations. You're probably going to have seizures. And coming off of alcohol, you probably definitely need to do that in a safe environment where there are doctors and staff and people helping you. Um, so tuck that away because a lot of times people are like, why can't you just stop? People sometimes can't stop on their own. So like Russell said, when he was like, he could go months without having to have a drink, an alcoholic can't just stop on their own and they may need detox. Um, this for most is for the most severe cases. Um, it is something that sometimes is covered by insurance and you can look up different detox centers. Now, some inpatient have detox attached to it. So next I'm going to talk about inpatient and you may find an option if, if you ever were looking for that, that you can start with detox for the first couple of days. And then once you've gotten past, you know, the week of the tremors and the hallucinations and stuff, then you can start inpatient. 
if you aren't to that point that you need the detox, inpatient would be the next step. Um, and this option is best for anyone who's been misusing alcohol heavily, heavily, sorry. <laughs> um, you stay there full time for treatment. It's normally at a treatment center or at a hospital. Um, it provides round the clock care. It can be a bit costly. I want to be honest about that. The insurance does cover some of it, um, but usually not all of it. Some programs have grants or offer assistance. Um, most programs, um, except maybe some of like the real high-end ones, um, do offer that. And it's something that you can ask for. So what to expect when you're, if you were to go into inpatient. Um, this program normally lasts between 30 and 90 days. You can expect behavioral therapy, relapse prevention groups, health and wellness groups, individual therapy, group and family therapy, meditation, and then some of the higher and nice centers, you know, that are like in Malibu or Arizona or, you know, some of these nicer places. They There's even some nice ones here in Maryland. Just, oh, there, yeah, there are okay. some commercials. Yeah. Okay. They offer more like spa like services. So you get you know, spa services too. And then of course, recovery meetings. And that's a really important part that you pretty much the recovery meetings you're going to get in any um, treatment. So the next one is outpatient. Uh, and this is an, an option for someone with more of a mild to moderate alcoholism. And this is what I did. Um, I went to outpatient at Colmac Recovery Centers, and there is a ton of those locally. They're not high end, <laughs> the way they're definitely not on the higher end. But it was it was a great experience. So outpatient is where you go most weekdays for intense group therapy, individual therapy. You meet with a doctor once a week to see if there's any other additional like medical issues or anything that they could give you to help you medically. And we're going to get into that in a second. Um, they also did provide some um, services, let's say. We got acupuncture and they had yoga and they had meditation and stuff like that. Um, so that is a really good option for someone who doesn't want to leave their family and can't go away and can't leave work. During the pandemic, Colmac offered Zoom at night and Zoom during the day. They had Zoom at multiple different times because they offer it at multiple different, you know, go to day program, you can go to a night program. But I thought it was really interesting how they offered that. So outpatient is normally about a 90 day. You go daily or a few days a week. And then once you're done that 90 day, outpatient offered something called continuing care. And that was one to two days a week that you would go back and meet with people. Um, this is all also covered by insurance. I definitely used my insurance to go to this. I did have some out-of-pocket cost, um, but there were people in outpatient with me who they worked with them and they helped them. They took what they could, you know, could give or what their insurance would pay. Um, so that is a very good option. The next one is counseling or therapy. And honestly, guys, this is a great option if you're willing to be honest and you're willing to go to therapy. And I'm going to share something that maybe Russell might not even be really aware of. I went to therapy years ago um, and I wasn't honest with her. I knew in my heart I went there because I was drinking too much, but I never once uttered those words to her. We talked about every other thing that was going on in my life and my marriage and my kids and my job and my this and my that. But I never talked about the one reason. You told me that. I did tell you that, you before? Told me that before. Okay. Yeah, you did. I wasn't sure if I had shared that because that's embarrassing that like I went for to talk about my alcoholism and wasn't even brave enough to actually talk about it. So it is a good option, but you got to be honest and you got to go. Um, if you, you know, 
th- going to therapy is so different than going to like an outpatient or an inpatient because if you don't show up at your therapist, you're going to pay a cancellation fee maybe, but like there's nobody that's keeping you. So it requires a lot of commitment and accountability on your part um, where inpatient outpatient has a much higher level of accountability. Um, therapy can definitely help with changing behaviors, um, make you, they make you, um, they really help you think about what, you know, the core of why you started drinking and what was behind the drinking. They help you deal with your stress and your triggers. Um, It also can help you with building a strong support system. So if you're someone who doesn't have a a wonderful spouse like mine that that is willing to do this with you and walk with you and you need that support, a counselor could be that accountability and support for you as long as you're willing to be honest. Um, The next is medication. So if you choose to do inpatient or outpatient, most of those centers have someone that oversees your medication. But if you don't, and you're just going to do therapy or try AA, I would really suggest you going to your primary care and being honest with them and telling them that you're struggling because there are things out there that can help you. So here's a few. And I know I mentioned some of these before, but I'm going to do it again because I think it's really beneficial. So abuse is one of them. And abuse will make you sick if you drink while you're on this medication. I mean, like sick, sick, throwing up, violently ill, you'll never do it again. Um, How do you pronounce this one, Russ? I'm not good with pronouncing things. Camprol. Camprol. Okay. Camprol can help you with the cravings so that you don't have that, oh, I need a drink or I want to drink type of cravings. Naltroxone blocks the high you get when you are drinking. So when I was in rehab, we'd call this the fun killer because it would take (laughs) away all the fun of drinking. There was no more fun in it. You didn't feel the sensation, that warm that comes down your body all the way down to your toes feeling. Nope. You didn't get any of that with it. So that's naltroxone. So um, I know for myself also, I had a hard time sleeping when I stopped drinking. I definitely relied on drinking to help me sleep sometimes. And when I stopped drinking, sleeping became a problem. Mm -hmm. So I had to talk to the doctor on staff at the outpatient and they gave me something to help me sleep. And I I took it for a little bit and I haven't needed it since. It's probably expired somewhere in my medicine cabinet. But honestly, guys, I tell you about this medications because I want you to use every tool in your toolbox. I want you to know what's out there, know what to ask for, be able to advocate for yourself. That is so important in this process. I think another thing to highlight, well, two things quickly. One, mm-hmm. um, it definitely, I remember as you began the outpatient process, the first month or two, your body was adjusting. Yes, very much. And part of it, I remember like rolling over at one in the morning and the TV's on and you're just sitting up like awake. <laughs> and I'm like, are you okay? You're like, yeah, I'm fine. I just can't go to sleep. I'm like, okay. So I remember, you know, your body was adjusting um, even in terms of your stomach and, and other issues related to that. Like everything was ad- adjusting in a lot of ways. You lost weight, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, like pretty quickly. Um, so it's your body's adjusting. Another thing is just want to point out as we talk about medications, we're not doctors. Please certainly yes, talk to, you know, talk to your, your physician, mm-hmm. um, a proper pharmacist and get specific recommendations as to the medications. But these are things that are, are available. You know, please certainly you know, talk to a professional before you take anything and only take what's prescribed. Right. So yes. we my parents are lawyers. So if you couldn't tell. So anyway. <laughs> yeah. You had to add yeah, that. You had that, that, okay. that. Yeah. We ain't nobody. Now Dr. Up. Russ yeah. is giving No, his. we're not doctors. No, we are. See, you're messing up. See? <laughs> okay. Lawyer we are not run. doctors. This is, see, you're messing us up. We're not doctors. 
yeah, anyway, carry on. Okay, I'm going to carry on. Yeah. All right, the next option um, is AA, or Celebrate Recovery, um, which is kind of like group therapy, honestly. All of these have been extremely helpful for me and something that I have done um, while getting sober and still continue to do. Um, this has honestly been my saving grace for my sobriety. I attend an AA meeting weekly. I've also done Celebrate Recovery through our church. If you're not familiar with Celebrate Recovery, it's more um, of a church-based program that is based on the exact same steps of AA, um, but you do it within your church. And it whatever works for you, whatever... It, fits for you. For me, it's been more AA. I am interested in, in learning more about Celebrate Recovery, um, but AA has definitely been more of my thing, but for to each its own. Uh, so the reason I bring those up is that um, this is by far the easiest and the freest option of anything. I mean, AA is free. Celebrate Recovery is free. You don't have to tell a single person that you're going. It is completely anonymous. Um, so how do you find a meeting? So you can download the AA Meeting Finder app in the App Store, um, and they do in-person and Zoom. I can't tell you how many times I've had a Zoom meeting on sitting at my desk. Sorry if my boss is listening. Yes, I've had an AA meeting at my desk before. I've still been working, but you know, I was listening in the background and sometimes, you know, I needed that. I had a stressful client or a stressful situation and I was just like I, I need I need a happy place for me right now. So, I want to encourage you if you are struggling or even if you have some unanswered questions within yourself and you want download the app find a meeting, go on Zoom, go in person. All meetings are one hour long, start to finish. They are so respectful of your time. And I think that's the thing I loved about AA more is it was one hour. I knew the time constraints, it, whereas for Celebrate Recovery, it would go way longer than that sometimes for me. Um, so you don't have to speak if you're not comfortable. And that's something I really want people to know because I did not want to speak in the beginning. I was not comfortable with saying, hi, my name is Sila and I'm an alcoholic. I didn't know what to say. I didn't want to say the wrong thing. Um, so just know you could go and walk out and and never have to speak if you choose not but to. But there's no, there's no wrong thing you could say. There is no wrong but thing you could if say. But if you're working, easing into it, yes. then you don't have to mm -hmm. feel the, there's no pressure. Correct. And I've, I've been to meetings, so I can speak. You have. They, didn't, they never made me say anything. <laughs> yes. So meetings look a little different depending on where you go, the location, the type of meeting. Um, I've attended meetings in different towns when I travel. And that's one of my favorite things to do is to find a meeting. I went to an amazing meeting in New York City. They did it differently than I've ever seen a meeting done before. And I loved it. So I encourage you, um, even if you're trying to get sober and you're going on vacation, Look up a meeting while you're traveling. You know, sometimes you'll find the coolest people or the coolest um, stories and environments when you do that. Um, most are held in church basements or recovery center meeting rooms. Don't let that freak you out if you're not a church person. Ain't nobody coming down and praying for you. No one's singing hymns on you. So you, you know, just <laughs> go to the basement, sit down and leave in an hour. Um, and I just say that because some people are like, oh, I'm not going to church. Mm -hmm. Don't let that stop you. Um, so when you go to a meeting, they normally have a reading. Um, they do, they read the steps, the 12 steps, some read the 12 traditions, which are really good to kind of ground you and kind of give you a, a path of where you're going. Um, and then some meetings have a speaker and then they open it up for people to share and you can share if you'd like, and you can share if you don't. Um, I've sat in plenty of meetings and didn't share. So it's totally up to you. Um, but I would really recommend 
the most valuable part of AA for me has been working the 12 steps of AA um, and finding a place that I didn't have to carry around my shame of my behaviors around alcohol or just life in general. Um, being in a room of people that have made some of the same mistakes are and are trying to overcome them daily for me has been so freeing. Um, it's hard to explain unless you've been there. It's, it's kind of like you walk into a room and you all have the same story and you all have the same struggles and it's it's your people and nobody is shocked by anything that you say and you're normally not shocked by anything they say because you've probably seen it done it or or heard about it um alcoholism can be a very self-isolating disease and i found that the rooms of aa and celebrate recovery is definitely my place it's my place to lay down all my junk and to leave it there and i don't have to carry around the guilt and the shame of my behavior any longer. So, um, any other questions about AA or anything? No, else I was going to say, uh, you know, twelve sets work it, you're worth it. Yes. Okay. So he's making fun of me a little bit. <laughs> so in AA, we um, have this thing say it works if you work it, meaning if you work the program, it works. And then afterwards, we always say, "Work it, you're worth Put it." Your game down, flip it in reverse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, Missy yeah, Elliott. Yeah, yeah. No, not the, the, the woman here in Greenbelt. Oh, my God. Missy Elliott's soul Jesus. sister. You got to look that up. Okay. Yeah. Yes. You got to look that up. It's hilarious, <laughs> by the way. So inside joke. Yes. But, um, yeah. But yeah. So yeah, we'd always say work it. You're worth it. Um, so you may be listening to this and thinking, you know, like I said before, this really isn't for me. I hardly drink. I don't have an issue with controlling my alcohol. And I say, fantastic. I'm so happy for you. Seriously. So, so happy for you because this is a struggle I do not wish on anybody. Um, but you never know what the future can hold. Um, and you may have a child, family member, coworker, spouse, parent that you start to get worried about. And I just want to remind you, save this podcast, share it with somebody, um, you know, because you'll never know when you'll need it. So tuck it away. And hopefully one day you won't have to come back to it. But just in case you do, I hope you found some valuable information. Well, we've been pretty thorough, I think, in terms of covering some of the resources that are available for folks trying to get sober or trying to help someone get sober. There's a number of places that you can start in this journey. And I think that's the main thing we want everyone to understand. So, Sila, as always, I know you have some encouragement to wrap us up today. I do. So I want to start with um, you can't just do the surface work. You got to dig deep and work on the stuff that you've been stuffing down for most of your life. If you identify with any of these five types of alcoholics I shared in the beginning, please consider getting some help and doing the work. I promise you that life will get so much better, better than you ever imagined. The second one is don't wait and think, I got this, I can control this, I can manage it, I can Google Calendar track it, how many times I drank, da 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 da. Most people can't do this on their own and you need to learn the tools for when life gets really hard and all you want to do is turn to drinking, other healthier options and tools and people and support systems that you can go to. And lastly, I want to remind you that recovery is not a race and don't feel guilty if you take longer than you thought you would or maybe than someone else would. I didn't get it on my first try. It took me a few mess ups before it finally clicked. 
But guess what? This is a daily journey. I have not arrived. I am not fixed by any means. This is something that I'm going to have to work on every day for the rest of my life. But thankfully, I don't have to worry about the rest of my life. I just have to worry about today. So I encourage you to take it one day at a time. And don't worry about the next day or the next month or the next event. Just worry about today. It works if you work it. Work it. You're worth it, girl. Yeah. (laughs) I love you guys. Thanks for joining. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.